0: Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacey Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacey Francis. Thank you, Steve. I'm very happy to be here today on Financially Ever After. We have a a wonderful speaker uh, that I have been able to get to know uh, over this last year and had the privilege of seeing her speak live a few times and uh, really excited about Kathleen Burns Kingsbury today. She's going to be here talking to us about the things we need to think about uh, to make sure that we're making good decisions uh, going through the divorce process and she has a huge amount of experience in this area. She's a, a wealth psychology expert. She's the founder of KBK Wealth Connection. She's also the host of the Breaking Money Silence podcast and she's an internationally known publisher as well as author speaker. So what is Breaking the Money Silence? Uh, you can find out a lot more. She has a, a great book called That, exactly that, Breaking the Money Silence, How to Shatter Money. Money taboos. Talk openly about fan finances and live a richer life. Uh, that's actually her fifth book because um, writing just one book is not enough for her. So she's <laughs> written she's written five. Um, as we talked about, she is a keynote speaker. She's also an expert. On financial psychology. She's been quoted in many different publications. I'm sure you've seen her Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Money Magazine, Today Magazine, Forbes, uh, Forbes Woman. And she's also had articles that she's authored um, in numerous publications, including American Banker Magazine, CNBC Investment News, and, and other trade magazines and consumer magazines. So she started her career in retail banking um, before becoming a commissioned bank examiner with the FDIC which sounds very interesting. I'm like a Sherlock Holmes I love to bust people who are doing things wrong so I'm sure you can you know share some information there which is is interesting um, but all of that uh, experience uh, helped her move towards a desire to become a a coach on executive management, helping people improve uh, their performance. When Kathleen is not working, um, you have more hobbies than pretty much anyone that I know, and they're all really interesting hobbies. So she's an avid alpine skier who lives for the next powder day. In the off-season, Kathleen enjoys mountain biking, kayaking and something I love, laughing with your friends. Uh, you live with your husband and your amazing cat Avery um, in the Mad River Valley of Vermont, which is one of my most favorite places as well. So a great
1: big welcome to you, Kathleen. Thank you, Stacy, for that wonderful introduction. And yes, I'm counting down the days to ski season. I know. So that actually is is
0: probably coming up because I know Vermont, you guys get snow pretty darn early in the season.
1: Yes. They started blowing snow yesterday and uh, usually we start skiing around Thanksgiving. But for oh those gosh. people who yeah aren't into the cold weather, uh, certainly that can be a little alarming. It can be. It can be. But for those people like me, i that, that
0: sounds good to me. It sounds good to me. Um I, I'd love to dive in because I, I know we only have a half hour and I want to make sure we get to everything. Um your book that you wrote, Breaking Money Silence, you know, what prompted you to to write this book? Because At least the way I grew up, I grew up uh, not talking about money. What gave you the courage to tackle this taboo of talking about money
1: head on? Well, a couple of things. I think one is I've never, ever, since I was born, (laughs) been good at being quiet. I tend to be highly verbal and always have something to say. And so when I um, started looking around at what my next book was going to be, I realized how much in our society we talk about everything. Um, We share everything on Facebook and Twitter, but we still don't talk about money. And given my interest in um, financial psychology and my background in banking and empowering uh, men and women. I thought, well, why is that? And so I started to explore for myself and for the reader, why is it still a taboo? And and most importantly, how can we bust it wide open? Um, because I think it's kind of crazy that almost half of Americans would rather talk about death, dying, politics, religion, as opposed to personal finance. I thought, boy, that's a problem, and I'd like to be part of the solution.
0: And why Why do you think it's important um
1: For people to be able to talk about money, what's important about that? Well, I think it's important because if you look at what happens when people stay silent uh, about finances, um, it contributes to 50% of the first marriages ending in divorce. When you look at families who are trying to successfully pass down wealth to the next generation, 60% of those wealth transfers don't occur primarily because the family has trouble talking about money and wealth and preparing the heirs. And certainly when it comes to Women and women going through divorce, I think that not talking about money or or not having those skills as you enter this difficult time in your life really can lead you to make a big mistake and and uh, leave money on the table or not advocate for yourself in the way in which um I think it makes sense to do so.
0: And do you see, Kathleen, that there's a difference between men? talking or not talking about money and women talking or not talking about money.
1: Unfortunately, it is a equal opportunity problem in terms of uh, (laughs) our our society really does struggle. Now, some people out there who are listening may say, oh, we talk about money all the time. So let me just say that breaking money silences is is more than just talking about dollars and cents. It's also talking about your values, your goals, your attitudes, your feelings, and making the emotional connection or talking about the human side of finance as well. Um, I think it hurts women more um, if we look at like the gender wage gap, uh, some of the, uh, well, not some of the lack of funding that tends to go to women business owners. And, and again, kind of as women transition and go through a difficult time like divorce, often it, it negatively impacts them more than men. But overall, we all struggle in this area. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And,
0: you know, as far as couples, I mean, it, it, both men and women have a hard time talking about money. And then you put, them together and and it sounds like you have a whole lot of not talking um you know how does this impact couples you, you did mention kathleen you know 50 50 of first marriages end up in divorce that divorce rate is that partially partially happening because people couples
1: are, are actually not talking about the finances I think it's a key contributor. I I don't think you can just say, Stacey, oh, it's because we're not talking about money. But I I think that it's a key contributor in that often when we're not together in terms of talking about finances, that does not mean you're agreeing on everything. But if somehow our values aren't shared or there's some problems around money, that can be a mirror for some other problems in the relationship.
0: For mm-hmm. instance,
1: if you're you know, hiding investments or purchases or um you are you know not telling your spouse about your spending or you're constantly you know butting heads about having a different attitude around money that can bring a lot of conflict into the relationship it may be indicative of something else that's deeper or it may be you know as simple as you both haven't Uh, learn the skills to be able to engage in an effective healthy money talk and and over time trust me I've seen friends go through this time and time again it really starts to wear on you uh, and people just get very frustrated and and say you know it's not worth hanging in here Um, and I do think finances is a big contributor to that.
0: And why would couples try to hide things from their spouse whether it's you know, debt, whether it might be, um, you know, an investment, where does that come from? Because that, that's something that we see so many women upset about, that they're worried that their spouse is hiding things from them, um, particularly through the divorce process.
1: Yeah, you know, if you think about it, uh, couples and partners, when they're getting along, have trouble um, being honest and open and and financially yeah. communicating effectively. So I'm sure you see it all the time. It gets uh, very tricky uh, during a, a split. Um, I think it all comes down to kind of our collective money shame. I mean, that sounds like a strong word, but I think there's a way in which because we don't talk about money, Um, In our society, and often it's seen as something, you know, it's unnecessary or it's rude to talk about money. Um, We end up just having these thoughts about it, whether we're aware of it or not, uh, in our unconscious mind, or, or maybe we're conscious of it. And so, we don't feel like we can bring that material anywhere. And I feel like we're as sick as our secrets. So, a lot of times what ends up happening for men and women is they feel like they're the only ones that are doing this or we're the only ones that, you know, are hiding a purchase. or the only ones that have trouble fessing up, you know, when we feel a little guilty about our spending. And so, um, I think, number one, I think it's important to know if you have hidden a purchase, that just means you're part of 80% of the population. And I'm going to out myself in that I I have hid purchases, not for very long, because I tend to be an oversharer. <laughs> um, but I have gone and bought shoes, and then put them in the back of the closet. Um, and then when you know I pulled them out, I kind of acted to my husband like, "Oh, these were shoes that oh look at they just magically appeared in the closet." And you know what's interesting about that is he doesn't have a problem with my spending; it's my money discomfort, my difficulty spending money on myself. And mm-hmm. so then you. Think about other people and the types of things that they're hiding. Now, it can get much more serious than shoes, right? We're talking about debt. We're talking about yeah, real estate yeah. investments. And so um, I think it's a way in which a lot of people try to exert their power and control in a relationship and try to feel like they have um, a sense of, of uh, this is mine. You're not going to take it. I'm going to control it. Or sometimes there's really good intentions, maybe not necessarily during a divorce, but during a marriage of, you know, I'm going to do this. She or he is not going to agree, but boy, when it works out, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And uh, what ultimately happens in all those different scenarios is that, you know, there's a sense of betrayal very similar to how you would feel a sense of betrayal with infidelity when, when you are cheating on your spouse sexually. Mm-hmm.
0: hmm
1: And that sense of betrayal
0: Morphs into, you know, a big a big problem for individuals. And how do you, how do you suggest uh, a couple who might have one person who really is taking the lead in managing their finances, meeting with the, you know, wealth manager, and then the other partner is remaining completely silent. Um, How do you address that issue in your book? And and what would be your advice for couples who
1: are currently operating that way? Couples need to start sharing some of the responsibilities around finance, partially Mm -hmm. so there can be open, honest communication and that sense of betrayal is not there. Now, with that said... Uh, you know, in your position and anybody who's listening in that often what ends up happening is there is a financially dominant spouse. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, for instance, you know, maybe there's somebody who's better at technology and then there's somebody who's more interested in finance. So we, we kind of divide and conquer in our partnerships. and there's nothing exactly. wrong with that. you know that that I think is a natural tendency and why when you come together, you can be stronger than when you're apart. Um, however, if you have one person that's doing all the financial management meeting with the advisor, what ends up happening is if the other person has their head in the sand or is not involved uh, for whatever reason, um that ultimately you are putting both of you in a tricky spot in that. If anything goes wrong with the finances the person who is doing all the financial management may be seen as the problem or blamed and and for a lot of people what ends up happening is if that financially dominant spouse chooses to leave or um dies you know what ends up happening is you're left not knowing anything mm-hmm,
0: and so mm-hmm.
1: um it really is not good for uh, the individuals in the couple and it's not good for the couple. And it, let me just share uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting when I researched Breaking Money Silence was that if you look at couples who communicate about finances on a regular basis, mm-hmm. what you find is their relationship satisfaction actually is higher than those who do are uh, do not have those conversations regularly. So what that tells me is it increases intimacy, even though it's something that we're afraid to talk about. And so there's, you know, it's just really important for both people to be involved. That doesn't mean you have to both be dominant. It just means you have to engage in regular conversations. I call them money dates or um, coffee croissant and conflict over money. You know, just set aside some time um, to pay attention to it, just like you might have a date just to work on your relationship in general.
0: So tell me a little bit more about how often you should be talking about money. Is this something that, you know, you need to be doing every week, uh, once a month, once a quarter, because you you talk a little bit about, you know, regularly talking about money, but what does that, you know, what does that really mean for,
1: for us putting it into place? Sure. I think each couple gets to decide what's going to work for them. I would say at a minimum, it would be once a month to have Mm -hmm. some sort of check-in. Now, Mm -hmm. for some couples, they might want to do it once a week, Mm -hmm. Um, but let's say it's once a month. So, if you do it once a month, it may be around uh, paying bills or um, looking at how you're doing compared to your budget, or it could be as simple as, you know what, once a month, we're going to talk about what are some of the financial successes we've individually had this month and share those successes with each other? Uh, What are some of the strengths that we have financially that maybe our spouse or our partner knows about and maybe they don't? So it can be around the dollars and cents. It also can be around um, how you think and feel about money and what your values are. And I think if you're doing that at least monthly, what you're doing is saying this is as important as going out monthly Or, you know, this is as important as getting to the gym on a regular basis. Um, This is as important as taking care of ourselves uh, from a nutritional standpoint. And so I I know that's a loosey-goosey answer, but I really think individual couples should come together and say, what feels like it would be a stretch goal for us? And if you're not talking about money at all, once a month is a lot. And if you are talking about money... Um and you say, maybe we should do it a little bit more often, you might move to weekly. I know mm-hmm. in my relationship, what I do is, you know, every once in a while when I'm, I'm the financially dominant one in terms of, like, you know, doing the finances, given my background, and every once in a while, I say to my husband, you know what, Brian, I, I think it's time for us to have a financial meeting because I'm feeling a little stressed out. And so we do it based on kind of if yeah. one or both of us, you know, feels like it's time. Um, but once a month is a good idea. And so we've talked a lot
0: about... Um you know, preserving and, and, you know, having that relationship be as healthy as possible uh, while you're married or, you know, for many for many women, um, you know, the majority of those women, the women listening to this podcast are, are going through the divorce process um, and and want to have a happily ever after. So this is a great recipe for them for their, their next relationship. But beyond that, um, you know, outside of just money relationship, between um, spouses, between partners, how do we work on our own money relationship? And I, I, I read in your book that you know this can vary also according to what generation you're part of. Can you give us some more tools and examples about you know how our listeners can can work on their own money relationship and and how that their relationship might be impacted by? their
1: their generation and, and their age and their background. Sure. I think each and every one of us needs to have an individual relationship with money. So whether you're in a partnership, whether you're going through a transition or whether um, you know, whatever your life situation, I think the first step that you need to take is to examine what I call your money talk mindset. What are your automatic thoughts and beliefs about talking and engaging in a financial dialogue? And um how do those provide either strengths uh, meaning, you know, you're you're really good at it, and how does it create maybe a potential blind spot? So, an example might be if I think talking about money with my employer is scary. And when I'm um, talking about money, you know, at work, I feel uncomfortable, that's going to be challenging to go in and potentially ask for a raise. So that might be a a spot that you need to work on. However, if you're somebody who says, you know, the last time I had a money conversation at work, it went really well, then that's going to be adding to the strength of like, look, I've practiced this and it seems to be, um, you know, a strength. So I, I really think that it's really examining what's your automatic reaction around talking talking about money, and then looking at individually, what is it that I can do to have a better relationship with money. So, so let me give you an example. I worked with one woman, um, when I was doing a lot of money coaching and she had gone through a divorce, maybe, I don't know, three, four years before we started working together and she was in her fifties. And so she had her own business and I was doing some entrepreneurial money coaching with her. And what we discovered is that she was really blocked. We looked at her money talk mindset and we looked at what made her business profitable and what kind of kept her stuck. Cause she only could reach so much profitability. Um, Um, And so what she, what we identified in in these conversations about engaging in money talk and and how her relationship with money was in her marriage before she was divorced, we discovered that she had this belief that first of all, the man was supposed to do the investments and the financial planning, not her. And that's generational. Um, Mm -hmm. She was a later boomer. And she also um, unconsciously had the belief that if I have more than $2,000 in my savings account, then I need to spend it. And so the second part was something that we discovered in our work together that she wasn't so aware of. And so what we realized and what I helped her work on was, number one, thinking about, okay, let's challenge that gender money myth that only men should manage the investments. She was still having her ex-husband manage her investments at the time we were working together. So that eventually changed. And second of all, the idea that if you have $2,000 in the bank, you're supposed to spend it. That was a family money message. Um, it was one that she decided she was going to work on. So basically what she did is she said, I'm going to leave more than 2000 in my business checking account and I'm going to see if I can tolerate it. And so she was able to do that. And so she had to fight the urge to give in to that unconscious belief that she was supposed to be spending money, that that was too much in the bank. Now, yeah. you know, as a side note, it may be that eventually she needs to figure out how to invest that money to make money on the money. Um, but really it was about... Um, identifying what her automatic thoughts and beliefs were about money and money talk and then being able to push forward. So as a result of both going through the divorce and then doing some money coaching, what she realized was I can be profitable and what was really great is I watched her profits go up and up and up and second of all, I can learn about investments and take care of myself and the last time I saw her, she was so proud that she had um, built her business to be successful and was um, meeting with a financial advisor, and managing her own investment. She felt very empowered through the process. So those are the kinds of things I think you need to do, and it all starts with just looking at what are your thoughts and beliefs, how can I um, accept the ones that work for me, and then how can I change the ones that don't. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. So money money talk and, and mindset, have you seen any of these messages really screw up women making mistakes through the divorce process?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, I just, uh, got back from speaking at, uh, ADFP, which is association of divorce financial planners. I think you were a, a member. And basically what we talked about was the idea of when people are going through a divorce, right? Money is an emotional topic anyway, and then it's mm-hmm. super duper charged when you're going through a divorce. So, um, what I have seen time and time again is women making the mistake of trying to just end the process sooner or Mm -hmm. hanging on to an asset that emotionally means something, but that financially is actually going to be a problem case in point. Um, a home, right? Often women want to hang on to the family home. That makes sense to me. That's where you're comfortable if you've raised your kids. I mean, all of that emotionally makes sense. But it's really looking at and working with someone like yourself, Stacey, um, to look at, does that financially make sense in the long term? If it's providing comfort and security, is there another way in which you can get comfort and security during this very difficult process but still make a good financial decision? And sometimes that's letting go of that home uh, Mm -hmm. as part of the divorce process. So that's what I see. I saw a lot of women um, rushing through the process and letting, and I would say men do this as well, but letting the emotions get in the way and making the decisions in the short run that ultimately might not be so great in the long run. So tell me about The
0: rushing through the process, because I I totally get, and I think a lot of women understand, and it's been talked a lot, a lot of, of, you know, keeping the home for emotional reasons, but not financially being able to afford it. Um, But you've also talked about, you know, rushing through the process and just thinking
1: more short term than long term. Where does that come from? Well, when we're in pain, we just, I think, at a very primitive level, want to stop the pain. and so. Right? So you're in a situation where you're uncomfortable. I mean, for the most part, even an amicable divorce is is, is uncomfortable. And so you're grieving the loss of the relationship. You know, um, you're also probably not feeling very good about um, yourself typically. And then there's a lot of talk around money because there needs to be, but then money is such a charged topic. And yeah. so in the short run, I think a lot of times what ends up happening is people say, um and i you know it may not even be conscious it may just be this knee jerk reaction of if i can just get this over with um you know i can move on with my life and then i won't have to feel this pain anymore and and of course they want to do that um it, it, but uh, time and time again i have listened to girlfriends or former clients where uh, the recent um one that i thought about is I, I met this woman and she was that it was the night before her uh, divorce settlement and she actually was going to, she settled for $20,000 just to get away. She had taken care of two special needs kids. She had um, lived in this home that was a half a million dollar home. And I don't know all the specifics because she wasn't a client of mine, but she actually just took the 20000 and left. And I think it's because she was in so much pain and felt so uncomfortable Hopefully she'll be fine in the long run, um, but that's very concerning. So I think that's where, and I know you do really great work in this regard, Stacey, I think that's where we really need to encourage women to have a team around them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a former therapist in addition to being a bank examiner. I'm a former uh, licensed mental health counselor because, you know, that makes sense to have those two professions go together. Um, <laughs> but, but basically, you know, the, cooking up with counseling, talking through the emotional piece is then going to help you um, Be less reactive and, and emotional in terms of the decision-making around your long-term finances. And then, you know, you, I know you've had on the show and in your um, office, have a kind of a team of professionals. We need to get a team around us to help us during these difficult times of transition and ask for help. That way, um, we can, yes, feel the feelings, but not let those feelings dictate our financial life in the long run. Exactly, exactly.
0: It's, I almost look at it as like a Central Park horse that you have the blinders, you're only seeing what's in front of you and you really need to keep, keep the blinders off because you're making decisions about the rest of your entire life.
1: Right. And I think we live in a conflict avoidance society, even though there's a lot of conflict. So often, in addition to not wanting to um, feel the feelings around the money or the failure of the marriage, you know, if it's conflictual, you just want that conflict to end. Exactly. Um, exactly. exactly. And So um, it's, it's really that support that's going to help you. Um, go through the process, and then end up on the other side more positive. I mean, I have a girlfriend in particular who went through a very difficult divorce. And she was so excited when she was telling me about her Excel spreadsheet and that <laughs> she had learned to pay her bills and that she was good at it. And, you know, she had a lot of money. Her husband was very affluent. Um, I have never seen her so proud than when she was able to be on the other side of that divorce, had advocated for herself, felt really good, and was managing her own money. It, it was so wonderful to see. That's great. I mean,
0: I I have to say she's a woman after my own heart because anyone who loves an Excel spreadsheet um, (laughs) – I, I would love to take them to coffee because I, I am right there with them. Excel and me are like uh, you know two peas in a pod, so buddies, huh? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're coming to our end here, and I I can't believe how quickly this has gone. But what would you what would you say anyways? Those top tips, uh, those words of wisdom that you can share for women contemplating divorce or going through divorce, to make sure that they have the right money talk, the right mindset. To, to make good decisions. Do you have any, you know, words of wisdom you want to make sure that y- we get to today?
1: Yes, I think you know. I, I already mentioned to get support to to get people around you, both who can manage uh, or help you understand the financial aspects of the split, but also help you understand the emotional aspects uh, and know that you will get through it. I think there's an opportunity, and every time there's a transition, and so I would encourage people who are gone through it or maybe on the other side to really take this as an opportunity to say, you know, I'm going to improve my relationship with money. I'm going to learn how. to break money silence in my life. Maybe that's going to be with my kids or my um, older parents, or maybe that's going to be with my ex-partner eventually when things calm down, and that you can improve these skills. Just because it's a taboo doesn't mean it has to continue to be a taboo. There are concrete steps you can take. They're laid out in my book, Breaking Money Silence, around um, going from examining your money talk mindset to practicing engaging in financial conversations with people who are um, safer or someone, you know, like yourself, Stacey, that you could practice with. And, and lastly, learning from each experience. Um, You know, it's, it's about progress. It's not about perfection. Money talks are not one time. They're a journey. And trust me, it ebbs and flows, but you can get much better at it with practice. And I know your listeners um, can uh, really break through the silence and take the lead for the next generation.
0: Well, thank you. And you are such a role model for women. What is your financially ever after? What does that look like?
1: you know, I had to break money silence in my own life, even though I was loud uh, and had a lot to say. I um, learned how to break money silence in my marriage and I learned how to accept uh, being financially successful. And so my financially ever after is to be able to say I'm financially successful on a podcast uh, and also to do fulfilling work. So I absolutely love what I do, um, but I do love my free time. So, you know, Mm -hmm. my dream would be to spend a couple of months a year out West skiing or around the world and then writing and doing workshops and and continuing to kind of lead the charge on helping especially women empower themselves financially both from the emotional side as well as the financial side that would be my financially ever after I love it.
0: I love it. I'm right there with you. And how do how do people find out a little bit more about your work, what you're doing, the book, um, you know, and your opportunity for for being able to work with individuals and speaking engagements? Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your website and, and
1: more information? Sure. The easiest thing for people to do is go to the book's website, breakingmoneysilence.com, and you can find out where I am on social media. You can also um, connect with uh, my uh, financial advising website through that website. So it's breakingmoneysilence.com, and uh, definitely check it out and uh, give me your feedback. You can also listen to my uh, podcast there, and Stacy was a guest recently, so um, check that out as well. Yeah, and I read your book and absolutely loved it.
0: My, I know I've read a good book when I leaf back through it and there are highlights and circles and notes in the columns and in the side margins. So thank you for being here. And if anyone would like to find out a little bit more about uh, Francis Financial, our work that we do, uh, we hate work with women going through divorce, thinking about divorce and, and after divorce. It's uh, what we know is uh, one of the most difficult uh, times of, of anyone's life. And you make decisions about your finances that will help support you or unfortunately haunt you for the rest of your life. Not only impacting you, um, but impacting the people you love, uh, children, um, and everyone around you. So if you want a second opinion, please do reach out. We have a fabulous, successful second opinion service. And we will look at where you're at financially, where you're going, help you Help you look at the pieces to figure out if you're on track um, and, and help you also get smart about where you are with your money now, what your assets are, uh, what you have information about, and potentially um, where there might be assets that you don't know about. Often we can find little what we call mouse droppings, little little trails of uh, assets that may be out there that you don't know about uh, through your divorce process. So please do reach out. You can visit our website, FrancisFinancial.com. You can also email me personally, and that's Stacey, Stacy, S T A C Y. At FrancisFinancial.com. Thank you so much for being here at Financially Ever After, Kathleen. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. And uh, again, reach out, check our, our news feed in two weeks. We will have another fabulous Financially Ever After released for you.